Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Hey, Lord, be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here at TCC. We are wrapping up this fascinating little series we've been in over these last few weeks, looking at love. In particular, we've been looking at love through this lens. Love, a biblical definition of a popular misunderstanding. To tackle these definitions and their misinterpretations, we've been looking at different Greek words that dive into love's many nuances. Phileo, storge, eros, friendship, family, romance. The love between friends, the love of family, the love of romance. All biblically defined, all easily misunderstood. And on this Labor Day weekend, we're going to spend a few minutes with the love that encapsulates them all. Agape, sacrificial love. Agape, the love of sacrifice. If eros, sexual love, romantic love, is perhaps most misunderstood in practice due to its prevalence, TV shows, movies, hookup culture, dating apps, ads, social media... Then agape love, sacrificial love, is perhaps most misunderstood in its rarity. What does it mean to love sacrificially? What does that look like real time, real space? Is it even wise? I mean, sacrifice implies pain, right? When we define it, we see that it actually often does. The first definition of sacrifice in the dictionary is what we see all over the Old Testament. Animals killed at an altar. If you've seen the animated movie Road to El Dorado, think of the people sacrificing that terrifying vortex of water. Sacrifice. The next definition is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. As in, we must all be prepared to make sacrifices. Dad lost his job. We've got to make some sacrifices in the meantime. In financial terms, you might call this delayed gratification. 
I can repair my old car for $500, or I can respond to that exciting, enticing billboard telling me I can get in a brand new set of wheels for $500 with only 23% interest. Now, some of this stuff is intuitive. We've looked at this kind of sacrifice over the last few weeks. Real friendship, that takes work. Belonging to a family means making space for people who think differently than we do. The God-given gift of sexual intimacy takes on different depths within the safety and security of a hard-fought marriage. Delayed gratification. Sacrifice. But if we're honest, most acts of sacrifice aren't things that we would ever choose. Aging parents, devoid of retirement or savings after some poorly timed decisions, moving in with their kids only after those kids explored every other possible option. A third child, born with Down syndrome, throwing into flux not only the plans of mom and dad, but the childhoods of kids number one and two. In the novel Glittering Images, Charles Ashworth is an Anglican priest whose epic brandy-infused psychotic breakdown leads him to meet with a spiritual director named John Darrow. And Darrow helps Charles unveil some deep-seated pain that stems from a strained relationship he had with his father. A father, he learns, that adopted him as his own after it was discovered that Charles' mother was having an affair and his biological father had fled the country. This leaves Charles' father to raise a child in anger and bitterness, since it's not his own. People make legitimate sacrifices. And there are instances when those sacrifices are truly altruistic, but in the majority of cases, those sacrifices are made because there's really no other choice. So the cultural understanding we all internalize, knowing these sacrifices may thrust themselves into our lives at any moment, so play it safe. Don't overextend. Right? You never know when you might have to do something you weren't prepared for, so you better stay ready by only loving when it's safest, when it's safest, when it's a sure thing. Popular understanding? Love sparingly. Love sparingly. Protect yourself. If you're on the stingy side of love, you'll be all right. Totally safe. Make sure you're good, you're taken care of, that your needs are met first. After you've taken care of you, and only after you've taken care of you, can you maybe think about taking care of others, loving others. Now, love sparingly. When you start seminary, you take these extensive psychological assessments. And the assessments try to make sure that you're the right balance of narcissists to spend your career doing the number one fear in America. There are over 700 questions that must be answered on four different tests. And so I was there, I arrive, I go to orientation, I hear all these second and third year students telling these horror stories about these assessments. They take hours, they're so hard. I had to do mine over multiple days, it took me so long. And so predictably, my internal response was, oh yeah? A couple months later, I'm sitting with a psychologist going over the results. First thing he says, so I noted that you finished the assessments an hour and a half before the next person. Let's talk about that. Apparently, winning a psychological assessment isn't necessarily a good thing. 
And I, I laugh and I make light about that part to balance out the pain and the shame that I still feel from one result in those tests. One result only that has stuck with me years later. Uh, it was a little bar thing, two extremes on either side of this bar graph. And you could go up to 100% on both sides, right? So you could do a hun- uh, you could do 80% on one side, 50% on the other. One particular bar graph had these two poles on it. One said, looks to take care of self, excuse me, looks to take care of others first. 17%. The other side said, looks to take care of self first. 100%. Now, these years later, I'm still deeply bothered by that. And I'm bothered by this because while our popular cultural understanding might be love sparingly, what I've learned is that the Bible tells us that, that understanding couldn't be more wrong. We wrestled quite a bit with the passage of Scripture God was calling us to preach on for this agape love, this sacrificial love. That word agape, it's all over the New Testament in various forms, and examples of this kind of love are all over the New Testament too. So where do we go? Do we look straight at the crucifixion? Do we look at Jesus loving someone on the fringes of society? Do we look at Paul or John and their words about love? Well, we've done this a little bit here and there already over these last few weeks, and so we thought, how about that end zone verse? John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. End zone verse because people paint this on cardboard signs and hold them up in the end zone at football games all the time. And it does speak to sacrifice, both literally and figuratively, but at the last moment we changed course. We went from the low-hanging fruit and moved a little higher up the tree. Prologue of John, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him not one thing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word, the Logos, is Jesus Himself. So what John tells us is of profound importance in our our understanding of Jesus and the Trinity. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. The Nicene Creed was created as a result of arguments about this very thing. Was Jesus created? Did God make him? Or has he always been? Well, John tells us he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was not created. Jesus created. Jesus is God. We see further evidence of this when God says in the book of Genesis, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. All right, so before anything is made, God is in relationship with himself. And if we believe God is God then we must believe that he is perfect. If he existed for all of eternity before the world and will exist for all of eternity after the world, then he has everything he needs within himself. He is perfect. If he needed something, that means he would be lacking and he wouldn't be God. So that's true. Think about the beauty. Think about the perfection. Think about the wonder of God just hanging out with himself. Perfect harmony. 
Totally content, totally satisfied. Can you imagine being a fly on that wall? Jesus is God. Jesus was with God. Jesus had everything he could possibly need. For all of eternity, the status quo would have been more amazing than anything we can imagine. And yet, John tells us that Jesus acts. He creates. The world and all living things are made through him. And not only is the world created through him, but he actually steps into that world. And how does that world that he created and stepped into receive him? Well, verses 10 and 11 tells us he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And why does he enter that world that was made through him, yet doesn't know him, doesn't receive him? To die for it. Why? He loves it. Jesus has everything, right? He's perfect. I'm beating a dead horse. Nothing can be added to him that could make him more perfect. He's good forever just as he is, but he acts anyway. He creates this world that doesn't like him, doesn't appreciate him, and he, as Eugene Peterson wrote, moves into the neighborhood anyway with the ultimate purpose of dying for that world because he loves it. Now, does that sound like a love that's safe? Does that sound like a love that's quiet and tepid, a love that's stingy? Does Jesus love sparingly? See, that's what our own instincts tell us. That's what the world tells us. Our popular understanding is just that, love sparingly. But what does the Bible tell us in this passage of Jesus leaving perfect harmony to move into this mess on Gem Street and Mooney Boulevard? Love recklessly. Love without abandon. Love freely. Love without fear. Love recklessly. Jesus does. Now, this is where the arms fold, the frown appears, and the disbelief in us says, all right, yeah, easy for Jesus to be a martyr. You just told us he's God. He's holy and selfless and all that stuff, right? I mean, I can't take those kinds of risks. Check this out. See, God isn't selfless. In fact, God is completely selfish. He's totally full of himself. He's the best, and he knows it. God didn't make us so that we could be all about ourselves. He made us to be all about him. He made us because he wanted us, not because he needed us. Jesus died for the world because God recklessly loves the world, but he doesn't love it selflessly. He loves it selfishly. Jesus doesn't die so we can be forgiven and then go on our merry way. He dies so we can worship him. His intentions are totally self-motivated. See, agape love isn't begrudging or about suffering for the sake of suffering. Agape love is about truly living. You want to truly feel alive? Do you want to feel true contentment? Do you want to feel pure joy, like the joy God feels for himself? Then don't love sparingly. Love recklessly. Jesus is perfect, and he throws his love around with complete abandon, which means that perfect love, true, godly love, is reckless love. You want to live the purpose-driven life God created you to live? Love others with that reckless, sacrificial, agape love that God loves you with. Love your friends, love your family, love your spouse, phileo, storge, eros, with agape. 
And you will find the life God meant for you from the beginning. That book, Glittering Images, finishes with this guy Charles getting healthy psychologically, emotionally. And with joy, he marries a woman who had been wronged by another man who was pregnant with that man's child. And instead of feeling resentment, instead of feeling bitterness like his father did, Charles actually finds the peace, the contentment, the wholeness he had been longing for his whole life. Not by playing it safe, but by loving sacrificially, loving with abandon. Friends, model yourself after Jesus. Love with abandon. Love recklessly. In the process, you will find the peace, the joy, the wholeness that Jesus has known from the beginning. The peace, the joy, and the wholeness that he intended for you from the beginning. To close this sermon series, I want to uh, take a quick look at a quote from C.S. Lewis's book, His Own Words, uh, in his book, The Four Loves. A book that inspired this series in the first place. He writes in the final chapter, If I'm sure of anything, I'm sure that his teaching, Jesus' teaching, was never meant to confirm my congenital preference for safe investments and limited liabilities. I doubt whether there is anything in me that pleases him less. And who could conceivably begin to love God on such a prudential ground because the security, quote, so to speak, is better? There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the danger and perturbations of love is hell. Friends, popular misunderstanding, love sparingly. Biblical redefinition, love recklessly. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.